Thank you so much for tuning in to the newest edition of the Leadership Portraits podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Lee Edward, and it's been a while since I've been able to put one out, um, but I'm back at it, and I've got a great one for you featuring Kristen Wilson, who is the co-leader and co-owner of the Wilson Team Realty Group in uh, the Willamette Valley here, representing Keller Williams Mid Willamette Valley. Uh, Kristen uh, is the wife of Lionel Wilson, who I've featured uh, on a previous episode of this podcast. And so you'll definitely want to go back and, and hear all the wisdom that Lionel had to share with us. Um, Kristen, like I said, leads uh, this realty group uh, with her husband. Uh, she's also on the Associate Leadership Council for Keller Williams Mid Willamette Valley. And recently, uh, had the honor of being one of 60 cultural ambassadors recognized internationally within uh, Keller Williams worldwide. I really appreciated, uh, towards the end of the, of the conversation, uh, Kristen's uh, wisdom and insight into feeding your determination. And she spoke about mindset, speak, uh, spoke about uh, positive affirmations um, over yourself, surrounding yourself with dream makers, and throwing out the language of quitting. And uh, those are some of the things that I, I took dearly to heart. And uh, we talk about a lot of really interesting things, women in leadership, barriers to women, is there a glass ceiling, uh, from that to Kristen's own personal genesis into leadership. She shares some of her background and, and her experiences as a, as a young girl all the way to uh, where she is in present life. So I hope you enjoy it. I know you'll find it enriching. A little disclaimer, this episode was actually recorded in September of 2016, and I'm just now able to uh, to put it out. It's a, a wonderful episode. I know that you're going to find a lot of value in it, and I, that's the reason I wanted to get it out. It's because I thought it was so valuable, and also just to honor the time that Kristen spent with us so generously. So uh, without any further ado, I would like to speedily jump into our conversation with Kristen. So what about, tell me a little bit about your family. Was this, did you have brothers and sisters? Was this something that they shared with you, this kind of passion, this kind of, you know, testing into, you know, advanced programs and communication abilities? Yeah, I think um, that's an interesting question. We, our family dynamics was actually sort of a rough childhood. And mm -hmm. I think that had we had a little bit more stability. Um, you say we, like... My siblings. So there's four, five of us together. Okay. Um, my mom raised a she, just to, to give you an idea, she had six husbands in the time I was growing up. Okay, wow. That's yeah. And a couple of them were abusive. So because of that, I think there was things that got in the way of um, our natural identities. Mm -hmm. And so where my brother, my one brother, so it's four girls and one boy, he actually had a, a like a way high genius level IQ mm. that never amounted to anything in his life. And he mm -hmm. started doing drugs really young and mm. stammered, you know, that what could have been or would have been, you know, probably a, a very different life for him. Right. Um, so, yes, we they share it. We all have some capacity of, you know, giftings towards that area we're all very strong and dominant communicators <laughs> and when we're together it's very evident Interesting. Um, however did you, you know, all have the same biological parents no. different biological yeah we parents. all have the same mother right we just we all have different dads interesting yeah okay yeah so well it's interesting that because normally like when mm -hmm. people come from 
you know, whatever this might mean, but a dysfunctional, you know, family environment, it tends to be that they're not the highest achievers, highest performers, you know, until well, maybe they get healing in their life at some yeah, point, you know? that's true. So where, think- where do you think along the line you developed this sort of tenacity mm-hmm. for excellence and, and achievement and wanting to be president, you know? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> by the time that I was born, so I was a baby. So yeah. my mom had twelve a 12-year-old down to giving birth to me when she was 31. And um, she'd been through the rough patches mostly of her life and was had come to know the Lord right before I was born. So even though there was, she still needed some healing, and there was still a lot of things to go on in our lives that, you know, were were tough. We were in church now, okay. and um, there was two things that were happening. We were, I was a product of the '70s, and it was a uh, Mary Tyler Moore TV atmosphere world. And my mom was a single mom, and it was uh, you're going to make it after all. It was okay. bootstrap it, all the way. It was. Feminism, it was you, whatever, strong women in our life. So in California. It was. And, you know, um, I, I, that actually served me really well because God really used that in that you're a survivor, not a victim. Even though my siblings didn't all take that mm-hmm. um, you, idea on. What do you think was the differentiating factor? Though? My mom. She told me I could be and do whatever I wanted to. But between you and yeah. your siblings, like what was what yeah. was the differentiator there? I think that she was just more grown up by, by the, the time, time she had me. Okay. Yeah, so I had a different parenting experience right, right. than they had. At a very young age. Very young. Okay. I mean, by the time I can remember really hanging out with them, five, six, seven, they were already out and moving out or running away from home. Gotcha. Or they had already uh, experienced things that I didn't have yeah. to go through yeah. and had my other things that mm-hmm. were there. But, yeah. Through, through that journey where you were in a season of kind of, I, I'm assuming that you were a stay, stay-at-home mom at some point, mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. So like through, you know, meeting Lionel and going through a season of, I'm not a CEO, I'm not running for president, I'm a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> to... Not kind of like where you are now, yeah. where you're like leading in all these different capacities again and influencing and motivating and inspiring. I'm sure you were, had different opportunities to do that along the way as well and obviously concentrated into your children, which are all amazing kids. Um, what was that journey like for you? Um, kind of holding on to that core yeah. part of Kristen, Kristen's identity through yeah. all those seasons. Well, that's the really what it comes back to is there was a... A journey, really, truly journey of identity. And I feel as I got through um, high school and, you know, into my early 20s, really lost who really the core of my identity was. Mm-hmm. Um, I let uh, probably religious mandates and, and people in our communities around us um, sort of eclipse that for a, a season. In in the in the best season that Lionel was just emerging as a new believer and growing into the Lord, and so you know me having been saved and baptized at five, and and um, being introduced to different types of of church settings and communities, um, and wanting to be um, considerate of this man that I loved and, and letting him have his journey mm-hmm. with that. 
Um, the best advice my mom ever gave me was um, let just step back and let your husband lead mm-hmm. and, and trust the Lord. And so even though we were in this really legalistic, independent, fundamental church, and I'd grown up in Calvary Chapel, um, you know, my mom was praying for us. Her, her Bible study groups were praying for us. And, and that whatever that path that was going to take us to, you know, where God wanted us to be. And so every season of our life came a new place for me of growing back into my identity in the Lord. Um, and it's, it was, it was a journey for me in that whole process. It was wonderful to learn that I was still, I could still be Christian, not being all of these other things in that season of life and be fulfilled by God and be completely satisfied in, um, serving alongside my husband and where, where his calling and his leadership was mm-hmm. and to grow and to learn about myself and to learn my giftings and then no believing or not even knowing, but, but somehow believing that at some point God was still going to use all of the giftings for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I share it often in that it's like the Proverbs 31 woman, but if you read it, you take it apart. It's not all happening in one moment in her life. Those are representations of different seasons of her life. So if I look back over the last 30 years of marriage, I can see the different seasons in that I was up early preparing for my household or I was out, you know, buying and selling or, you know, there's just different seasons and God has just through each season shown me what was my, my most priority. And then he did a lot of healing for me because I had um, really struggled with my childhood through growing and rearing my own children and growing as a wife and mother. Um, I had a lot to um, I had a lot of discovery and also um, realization that I had stuffed a lot of stuff from childhood that looked like abandonment and abuse and and those things were or would have eventually affected my identity but God um, tenderly mined them out of my heart and mind and brought truth and light to them and then brought healing to me and so because of that then I was able to step out again um, more um, secure in him to, to do the things that he was calling me to do later on in life, like the dramas. and Was that, did that kind of healing happen when you were in a season of focusing on being a mother? It started there. It started there. It was 10 years. Seriously, it was like a 10-year process. Um, not that I'm all the way 100%. We never know. I mean, probably till heaven. <laughs> we'll truly be fully healed, right? Mm-hmm. But there was um, a 10-year process where God was just really showing me he was actively pursuing my heart. Through that whole process of getting married to Lionel, Mm -hmm. becoming a mom, was it a struggle for you to kind of set aside some of like how you had seen yourself or the vision that you had for your life? Maybe it was like leadership aspirations or I sometimes you know, here, uh, you know, a very talented woman in leadership kind of 
pitting these two things against each other, like my career, my leadership role, and then my, you know, like a family or children, you know, and not everybody, yeah. but sometimes I hear that kind yeah. of, you know, this dichotomy come up. Was that true for you or did you no. see it differently? Yeah, I, I mean, I saw it differently. Um, I never felt like I was giving anything up yet mm-hmm. because I still had time to do the things that would come. I, um, I think that I was fortunate to still feel like God was using me um, in those seasons, and I never didn't feel validated uh, by um, you know, not being in the working place or, or growing a career yet. I always knew that it was there and it was under the surface and that I, it would be amazing for me and I knew that it was still to come. And I was grateful for the time, and I am, I'm grateful for the time that I was at home. I'm grateful for the time. I got to be creative. I got to envision. I got to, um, and we were leaders. I mean, we were leaders in our church. We were leaders on staff. You know, you're, it's never just the pastor. It's the pastor and the pastor's uh-huh. wife. And so I was leading Bible studies. I was planning all the retreats. Lionel and I planned all the mission conferences for like five years at this huge church. Um, we did, um, you know, we were leading studies. I was leading discipleship. I was mentoring people. Um, I was, you know, performing in the choir. I mean, I was so fulfilled that I, I almost didn't have room or time to even notice a deficit of my own heart. Sure. And when I slowed down, and we actually it was didn't, it took like moving outside of those roles, and and just being in, in working jobs and not being a leader for a good season for God to really show me that I had a deficit that I've been running off a deficit in my heart that He had healing that He wanted to do in me and wow. and I I because I just ignored it and I just wouldn't recognize it because. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fairly content and validated in, in so many of the things that we were doing. So, you know, every single season of our life in some form of capacity, God has raised me up in, in some form of leadership or role. So I, I never felt like I was missing out, but I am grateful for those seasons and that, um, I, I got to experience having family and building a strong marriage and life with Lionel. And now we get to experience building a company. What does leadership mean to you? And does it mean different things in different places? Yes, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, Actually, um, well, I love this quote. Um, by John Maxwell, and he says that a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And so I believe as leaders, we must set high standards. We must keep those standards, and then we must empower those around us to be able to achieve those standards. So uh, for me, leadership is really truly coming back to empowering others. And um, empowerment is a huge um, buzzword for me, but I um, that I find that uh, I feel accountable or responsible to that. What does what does that mean to you to empower others? 
to oftentimes see in them more than they see in themselves, help them with the discovery of that and finding that in their identity and then helping them see, okay, where's, what's the tools or um, the training or the growth or the practices that will, that will let them achieve that or get to that. Um, and often it's um, combating their own <laughs> um, negative images or self-sabotage to get there um, and just coming, coming out of, you know, whether it be oppression or like a victim mindset or having limiting beliefs, we call limiting beliefs, which mm-hmm. I think in the Christian community they would say, you know, like a lie-based thinking, mm-hmm. same idea. Um, to overcome that, how do we overcome that? Not say stay trapped in that, but be set free from that. And we have learned and been given real tangible tools to be able to do that. And so by offering those tools and offering that clarity of thinking and the different mindset that can involve them to that and will empower them. Mm-hmm. So. so leaders are trying to uh, develop, help people develop a clear mindset, a powerful mindset. What do you feel like, it, 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 or how do you empower people in these different spheres that you're leading in? Like, what does that practically like look like? Do you, you have them... Um, Maybe even like an example that you can think of, like not necessarily naming names, but like, you know, this kind of event happened. Well, yeah. Um, First of all, by introducing them to um, tools or training or ways of thinking that maybe they haven't been introduced to before. So we're we're always providing uh, additional training or or goals. uh, sorry, I didn't mean sickles. Um, or like books. Um, we do, like, for instance, with our team, we have a book that we're always going through okay. um, to um, raise their thinking. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, is we coach with them and we mentor with them. And so we um, do something that's just wildly awesome. And, and we have this thing that's called, it's a motivational meeting. And it, we go through it. It starts, first of all, with a personality assessment. And so um, Keller Rooms, our company, is really big on making sure that people are in, in roles that are in their strengths. So they're not constantly feeling defeated by a role that really isn't a fit for them. Right. And so we start with that and we do what we call a validation or verification of that. So we get to sit down and pour into them for hours, really feeding them um, off of what they've answered and, and validating that saying, this is what, this is this who you are. And it's amazing that these assessments come out. So 95 to 98% accurate and they're finding discovery of themselves. So just mm-hmm. by us giving them that gift of just walking them through their own validation, it, it raises their own impression of themselves it impacts them so personally but the second piece of that is we do then this motivational meeting and really we sit down and we we break out five years and we help them tell their story in five years from now mm-hmm. but then we tangibly help them realize that it's it's something they can hold on to that they can achieve set set goals out of um, and be motivated to actually do. It's not only just in, on paper and theory. And so I think that that's one way that we're able to raise and impact their thinking. That's just one of the things that we do. So. Wow, that sounds amazing. So as a leader, you are help, not only helping people form a vision for their life, but you're actually helping them develop like an actionable yeah. goal strategy to Absolutely. get there. Absolutely. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, 
I don't hear a lot of like, I felt limited or I felt like blocked or I felt denied or I felt, you know, this, I don't, I'm not really hearing not only those words, but not even like in the spirit that you're speaking of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a really interesting time that we live in. I was talking to my wife, Natalie, yesterday about how it feels like there's all these different sort of streams merging of different issues that may or may not be related. For example, you know, the Black Lives Matter campaign that started um, in 2015 after the Ferguson shooting. And uh, maybe just because of the current political landscape of the 2016 election season, we're like, you know, nine days away from election day. And in the midst of all that, you know, it feels like, at least in my world and in my ears, I really hear... uh, not like in an in a, in a angry or a violent way, but there's still that voice of women kind of asking, like, you know, are are we equal, like, in, yeah. in leadership? Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. I'm like, I want to just ask the question and not be afraid of the question to say, is there a glass ceiling? Is that true? Is that really there? And in, in part because I know that I won't feel that in the same way that right. a woman who aspires to leadership might feel that within yeah. a company or organization. So one of, the, one of the questions, and this is very broad, and you could answer mm-hmm. this however you feel led to or inspired to, is what, what unique um, challenges face women in leadership um, that men may not experience? Right. You know? It's interesting that you pose the question of equality. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that question probably lines up with um, your other question that I had read about the void in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if I were only seeking validation, and I'm not saying our church specifically, but if I was only seeking validation as a woman through the church, that I would feel like it probably isn't equal. But I don't choose to do that because I know better. And God has placed me in a different community because he has more for me there. I choose to say to myself, there's no glass ceiling for me. And I think that that's a victim mindset to always be crying glass ceiling inequality. I don't believe in staying in that mindset. I don't believe, I believe that is a choice that women make. If you are equal, then go out and work and prove that you are. And you, there's every opportunity for us to be the women that God make, made us to be. In, in, in many, many case scenarios, I would say to women feeling oppressed or not being able to experience that, to then go experience it somewhere else. Because they have that opportunity in, in their career, in their community, in, in, in places where they can be leadership wherever their children are at and there's just so there's always needs and there's always opportunities everywhere so if you're not getting validated if you're not finding that fulfillment somewhere go somewhere else Mm. truly and then the other thing is it's just you know we're not going to have all those validations and needs met at the church anyways it's not meant to be that way we're never meant to stay in a bubble so maybe if we're feeling unsatisfied there, not recognize the leadership because God's pushing us to be leaders in our community, to be leaders in our workforce, workplace, schools, kids' schools, wherever, so that we impact people who don't know Him. Mm-hmm. So, so for you in that whole process, do you feel kind of just neutral about it, or do you actually feel like does that 
does that personally affect you? You know, do you feel like no, I mean, I recognize it, or is it just more like mm-hmm. this is the way it is? It's probably going to stay that way. I'm going to go somewhere else and be awesome. You know, I think that my measure is: do I see growth or change where I'm at? And I do see some growth and change where I'm at. Um, I recognize it, and yet I don't believe in letting it be an excuse. Mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to go wherever I want to go. You know, um, I know that I should be where God calls me to be as well, right? Mm-hmm. I don't believe that God has called me to say, to take on the battle and say, oh, I'm going to fight for equality for women in, in churches per se. I do believe, though, that God has a plan to honor women more mm-hmm. in churches. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I believe He's raising up some really strong women. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like when you say God has a plan to yeah. honor women in churches, like what well, what just, does that mean to you? I think that as we um, have more discovery in our churches and we um, overcome limiting beliefs or light-based thinking and we have people more walking in their giftings and the freedom of that and um, truly walking in their identity, we're going to have so much more emergence of you know men and women um, coming into roles that they were created to do that you know, we possibly can have, you know, the church going, wait, whoa, this, the culture has changed. Mm-hmm. Either we're changing with that culture or, or these people are going to be changing places to mm-hmm. worship. Mm-hmm. So, and what it means to me to honor women more is um, not necessarily as a head pastor, but having more women roles in the church. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like we're missing you know, kind of not being in the fullness of that plan that God has to honor women more? Well, I think ultimately it will come back to um, women that are designed or created to really impact um, the people in our body, per se, or possibly just, just meeting that need somewhere else, specifically the working woman. So women that have careers and businesses and jobs, or even let's say that they're, they um their full-time job is homeschooling. And so they're not fitting into the be able to come during the week kind of thing or, or whatever. Um, their their life looks different. So that, that percentage is not is growing to like 78% now of women in churches are, you know, working a full-time career job, you know, outside of the church. And so when we, we box women into women's ministry and children's ministry, and then those women aren't able to come and serve in those areas, but they're radically gifted and, and have so much to offer and, and could be used in numerous ways. They're, those needs are not being met at all. So they're the ones quickly declining or pulling away from the church rapidly right now as a culture than, than any other people group that's pulling away from church. So um, this is a, a unique period of time where I think we're just going to be seeing that more and more and more. And so how do we keep them engaged and how do we um, as a church, recognize them in, in in the roles that they're in and also where can they be used or where can they be, you know, honored. You right. know? They're not going to be at Tuesday morning Bible study. They're not necessarily able to come at 630 prayer because they're actually getting ready for work except to be there at 715 for a meeting or, you know, some of these things. And so what does that look like for them? And the trend is more and more of those women are just getting out of church. So almost like I'm hearing you say the church could benefit if it adapted what it did yeah. to, to kind of meet the needs of 
the, this particular season of these women's lives rather than kind of just set what we're doing and then kind of expect you to come to us? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we, um, not every church is going to meet every need. I get that. We're all, each church has a mission they're called to. However, as this is a growing and growing more um, number of women in our bodies, it's something to be recognized and say, hey, how, what do we want to, you know, what's our opportunity here? It's an opportunity. What advice would you give to, you know, a young woman, you know, maybe she's a teenager, early 20s, college student, you know, she's feeling like, I want to grow as a leader, I want to grow in influencing people, I want to grow yeah. as a motivator, um, what, what could she start doing today yeah. that would position her to be able to take advantage of the next opportunity that comes along for her to to grow in leadership. Yeah. I, I would say start developing daily habits of, of um, growing in leadership, whether that be reading books and um, listening to mentors and podcasts such as these, where you can just be sitting under the, the wonderful wisdom of a lot of other people have just forged ahead mm-hmm. to take advantage of every single opportunity around. There's always opportunity around. There's always something. Um, I love uh, Mo Anderson, one of my mentors. She always talks about being in leadership incubation mm-hmm. as she was growing up high school and college by whether that be you know, serving in a ministry or working in, you know, um, um, you know, cheerleading or, um, you know, serving on a board. And her mom had encouraged her, listen, get in groups and volunteer to lead. And you'd be surprised. And the same is true with my life. You'd be surprised that every, that I always end up getting to lead because people don't want to. And so for someone young, just starting out, Hey, join a group and, and just volunteer. Well, if you don't want to lead, I'll be the lead. You know, we do these trainings, um, here at Keller Williams and, and we, they're little leadership incubations too, but they go, it's called bull and they break up in teams. And, and we're always encouraging everyone that's young say, Hey, volunteer to be the team captain. That's leadership incubation. And so anywhere in your world that you have the opportunity to join something and volunteer to lead or put yourself with the leader, say, Hey, I'll come alongside you and help you and assist you. See what they do. What's their processes, interview them, work alongside them. That's the best way to grow in your leadership skill. Mm. Wow. That's really good stuff. And, and, uh, following up with that, Mm -hmm. what character traits or person, maybe I don't know if you'd say personality Mm -hmm. or character trait, um, do you feel like has most helped you in your journey as a leader so far? What would that be? (laughs) I think, um, the determination to never give up. The one thing that has been consistent in serving me my entire life um, uh, and in serving the Lord is that no matter what season we were in or circumstance we went through, I was not willing to give up. And so I knew, and I, I knew I had to have the determination to make it through, to make it pass. And the reward would be personal growth, right? And so just continually just... Um, feeding your own de- determination in that um, whatever it is, it is possible, mm-hmm. you know, and that um, sometimes we stop short of the miracle, right? Like I see people in their own lives, they just shop 
stop just shy of the miracle, you know? So just keep pressing in, keep pursuing, just stay determined. You just use the phrase, feed your determination. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, for me, it just continually comes back to mindset. And whatever things that I continually do, put in my my mindset towards belief, towards empowerment, towards improvement, towards growth, I believe in affirmations. I believe that every person wakes up every day and speaks affirmations into their own lives. Just sadly, most people say negative ones. Mm-hmm. So write out your set of of, of words to yourself. Mm-hmm. Write out your prayers to God. Write out your passion and feed that to yourself every day, mm-hmm. and then and then surround yourself with an environment that also feeds that. You know that doesn't take away from it, that doesn't oppress it, that doesn't you know knock it down. You know there's the dream makers and there's the dream takers. You know mm-hmm. who's in your life, the dream maker, right? Be with them more. You know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Feeding your determination, finding dream makers, mm-hmm. getting away from dream takers. Yeah. Anything else? Any any other ways you can think of to feed your determination to, to never give up? You could throw out the language of quitting. Yeah, you, you can turn off that language and replace it with something else. And it's been eye-opening the last 12 years how I've learned to do this. Mm-hmm. I combat, combated wrong language in my mind, that, and I replaced it with the right appropriate language, the positive language, then that would feed all of all of the things that my soul needs to soar, right? And so, you know, whatever it is that you're struggling with, talk yourself out of that struggle. So are you saying Weird. that so are you saying that people talk themselves into quitting? They absolutely quit because they told themselves to. Hmm. That's where self-sabotage comes so, from. So so what would it look like to 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 sort of like give up your right to quit, but then because you're, you're using this idea of like self-talk, internal mm-hmm. dialogue. What, mm-hmm. what would that look like for, for you even mm-hmm. as you and these different journeys that you've been on have mm-hmm. given up the language of quitting? Yeah. What did you replace that with? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> with the language of uh, going forward and keeping going and keeping working and doing the next thing. What's the next thing? Not using the word I can't. I can. How can I? What can I do? What's next? Okay, got to go around this. If it's an obstacle, it's meant to be stepped over. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, it's there for a reason. There's a growth process or there's something going on. Mm-hmm. And there'll be another way. So find the other way. But if you tell yourself, it's like, and this is also neural... Um, um, Neurological? Yes. It's so many case studies have been done. I'll just use one example. Um, for the person driving the road, and they were worried they were going to hit the tree, I'm going to hit the tree, I'm going to hit the tree, and the car just went straight for the tree. Right? If you're driving down the road and you're telling yourself not to hit the tree, your brain is full because you're so convinced about the tree that you end up hitting the tree anyways. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, we control our mind, our body, our cells are going to respond to what we let our mind focus on and let our mind be determined to be and so if you just write out all of the passionate statements like physically write yeah them out. write them out and rehearse them and say them time and time again so that they sink deep into your heart and soul and then the belief starts to blossom you will you will respond in your life you will act on those things and they will happen mm. 
God is brilliant in his creation of us, and the mind is fabulous in controlling who we are and who we become. And it's really the key to our soul, and as a man thinks in his mind, so he is, right? Right, it's the key. And so if you can push out the the habit, it's a, it's a habit, it's a bad habit, <laughs> of all the negative and all of the doubts and all that's all being fed to us right by some evil source i you agree with that i mean i believe the enemy does that we cannot control the very first right but we can control how we expound on it so we can kick that on say that is not even true you know i'm i am this in christ i am possible in christ Mm -hmm. i am you know god is this in me i have this ability this is my gifting it's who i am so i'm called to be you know and you will be that well, Kristen, I really appreciate the uh, motivated motivation and the coaching. I feel like I just received, <laughs> and I know that a lot of people here are receiving. And um, um, so, thank you so much for sharing with me. Um, did you feel like you have anything else that you wanted to to speak to that or add? Or no, I just um, you know I'm grateful that you took this time with me. So that was fun. awesome. Thanks <laughs> thank so much. You. Yeah. Well, thank you. Wow, what a fantastic conversation. I'm so thankful that Kristen took the time to share with us. And uh, keep in mind that this conversation was actually recorded in uh, September of 2016. And uh, even though it was over a year ago, uh, obviously there's still some solid wisdom. And I'm, I'm, I felt that and uh, I wanted to make sure to put it out to honor the time that Kristen spent uh, with me and uh, our conversation but also just to get it out into your hands and ears. And um, if you found this conversation helpful uh, and would like to share it um, with friends or family that you think would also find it valuable, please do that. Um, You can obviously listen to it on iTunes or uh, share it straight from SoundCloud that I'm using to to host the podcast at this time. So uh, until next time, we'll see you on another episode of Leadership Portraits. Thanks so much. Take care.